0: Good morning and welcome to the PMC podcast brought to you by Invisible Fence, Zach's Creamery, Nepps Restaurant, Montgomery Welding, and all others who have donated to our ministry. Myself, Josh Schwartzen Trooper, and my co-host Nate Raber hope you enjoy our episode today as we dive into biblical truths, talk to brothers and sisters in the faith, and explore what God is doing in the lives of his people. We pray today that God would be glorified. All right. Welcome to the PMC podcast. I'm Josh Trooper, joined here with my co-host Nate Raber on another beautiful Friday morning here at Providence. The last Friday of the school year. You do the whole? I've been doing the whole joke this year
1: with this week with the kids. Like, hey, guys, hey are this you this the your last
0: PE of, the- uh, of the year? Are
1: you the see you next year guy?
0: Yeah, that's no. the last PE of the year. <laughs> oh, the kindergartners do What? No, we want more. <laughs> well, I'll see
1: you next year, guys. Uh, that's bad. Was it? Row. wood Oh, oh boy. Was it? Right here. Yeah, that's a lot of work for that. Yeah,
0: I, <coughs> I haven't labeled. This was take two of our whole thing, anyway. <laughs> Three hours of sleep last night. I, I I'm, I'm trying to Two weeks in a row a take two. Yeah. That's <laughs> we're, true. We're slipping. <laughs> we're slipping. Last last week we for oh, what you forget to
1: We didn't turn the mics turn on. Turn the mics on. Our kids need to go to sleep and like sleep all night when we what need, really need We need sleep.
0: Seriously. <laughs> oh my goodness. But that's part of parenting. Mm-hmm. You surrender sleep to help your kids and whatever they need and Mine's never the oldest one, it's always the youngest
1: one. My wife actually, bless her heart, slept with my kids last night. Man, and and I got a full night's sleep for the first time in long time, a very long time. Yeah, that's nice. So, thank you, thank you to my dear wife.
0: Yeah, my wife was trying to do Camden, but uh, he was just crying, not having it. And he cries so loud, and I can't go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So then Oakland, he sleeps through. Hurricane, so always has since he was been born. That dude's out. He sleeps hard, very hard all the time. So I usually just say, I'll take
1: Oakland. That's nice. Yeah.
0: Very, very generous of you. Well, you know, I think it's fair to split. Mm-hmm. Go Dutch. You know, just you take one, I'll take one. Mm-hmm.
1: Just playing, you know,
0: man to man defense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, I do I do play some help side on game <laughs> games sometimes but uh, for the most part for the most part i I, I keep
1: my guy contained make, make sure he doesn't go off get some shots up yeah
0: yeah he gets a little squirrely sometimes, <laughs> but it takes like two seconds to get him to slow down oh anyways Nate we are finishing up our uh, latest series called 12 extraordinary women and uh, this has been just a really good. Really good series, I feel like, just diving into women of the Bible, figuring out more about them, and uh, I know that we've heard from several different people just about how they've enjoyed this series and uh, just the inspiration that's been to them, uh, men and women, just uh, looking at the way that these women carried themselves and the faith that they had, and we said from the very beginning, Nate, that this was not exclusively a series just for women, but this was an, a series for women. All, all people, and um, for men and women both to see that you know there are qualities in women, but just people of the Bible that we need to solely focus on, mm-hmm. and how we can use their testaments as uh, examples in our lives to be faithful and just remain purposeful in what God has given us. And I think that that's important as we look at this today. But, uh, just kind of what Nate, just kind of before we dive into our last person here today, what, what have you kind of take taken from this
1: series? Uh, well, one is these, these semi-familiar names of the Bible, um, like Anna, for example, you know, you, when you hear the word, the name Anna, you're like, you kind of think, yeah, she was around something to do with Jesus was a baby, um, but one of the things. Oh really? That, you knew that? I, I, I didn't know that. I knew she was around there somewhere. She got lost in the
0: story of Simeon. In my, <laughs> in my opinion, like I just forgot that she was like she was kind of like a tag on
1: to Simeon's story, and and so it was just it was it was cool to see some of those names that you kind of remember. Mary Magdalene is another example. Yeah. Like wh- who was she actually? Like why why was she, how does she fit in there? We all know that she was at the cross, but like how does she fit in there? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, looking at those women that. That we see, that we kind of know, um, but then kind of take a take a deeper dive into is one of the things that I really enjoyed out of this is is taking those semi familiar names um, and really kind of solidifying them. What did they actually do? Yeah. Um, and the other thing, like you said, is is taking the qualities from these women that we see and applying them to everyone's lives. Mm-hmm. Right. I think MacArthur did a good job, not just pulling out feminine qualities or, or things that just women can do. Um, you know, we see with, with most of these women, like um, we see the, the faithfulness, we see witness um, from these women. We see, um, you know, with, with uh, Sarah, we see, you know, this, this, this waiting and, and just patiently believing in God and, and, and waiting for his promises. We can all do that. We can all, uh, we're all promised by God, and so you know, faithfully waiting uh, for those promises is something that we're all called called to do. Um, and so, that's really what I enjoyed out of this is is digging into these women, um, kind of understanding them better, and then seeing how their qualities can be applied to each and every one of our lives.
0: Yeah, and and the importance of each one of them in Scripture, even though they may have not been in. Prominent positions or leadership positions. I mean, you look back on all the women that we've did and done, and it's important to note that you know if we think think back, really, the only one that has any kind of worth today, I guess you could say, and we kind of made sure that we put her in proper place was Mary, mm-hmm. the mother of Jesus. Um, but other than that, they're they're just normal everyday women that uh, did exactly what God had called them to do. And, uh, you know, I was listening to Paul Washer's sermon the other day, and he was talking about that. He said, you know, you don't need to be, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be uh, in charge of this or in charge of that. God has called you to be responsible in the realm of ministry that he has called you to, whatever that may be. And the importance is, is not the position, but the obedience in that position. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's what we're seeing through these women here. But today, Nate, we get to, uh, focus on, uh, a woman that I actually am very familiar with. Um, and that is Lydia. Um, got the opportunity to preach, uh, About Lydia, whenever we were going through the book of Acts, um, when we went through the book of Philippians, um, Lydia is talked about in there because she was kind of at the beginning uh, in the church in Philippi, so we're going to be looking at how that church kind of got started. But uh, overall, Nate, this is another woman that comes from a very different background that other women would come from that we've talked about so far, and uh, this would be kind of a as Matt Chandler always used to put it, was the successful businesswoman type of a person. So um, we're going to see a little wealth in this person today, uh, kind of a prominent status a little bit. So once again, just another person in another area of life that is still obedient to the word of God. And through her life, we get to see uh, an example of how we can live.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I I didn't really think about that. A lot of these women are just you know, we, we had Rahab and we had the woman at the well that were a very, very low status. Uh, Martha and Mary were pretty average women. Um, Anna was just an old lady. Um, you know, so a lot of these women were just kind of normal ladies that that weren't, you know, super high up in society. And so when we get to Lydia, we're going to see that this is going to be a little different. This is going to be the picture of the gospel that, that everybody... Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, rich or poor, um, the gospel is for everybody. Um, and and I think the Spirit uses several different people in Scripture um, to kind of emphasize that the the diversity um, and the and the the openness of the gospel for those um, that that are called and those that believe. And so, Absolutely. when we see Lydia here, um, we see her in the in the town of Philippi in Greece. And so this is going to be in Paul's second second missionary journey uh, when he goes into um, this this area here in Greece. And so Lydia was actually probably MacArthur says from uh, what today is Turkey, uh, Asia Minor. She had a hometown of Thyrate thyrate Thyatira. Thyatira. Nice. I've,
0: like I said, I've preached over Lydia before. <laughs> yeah. Usually selling of
1: purple goods, all this stuff. Yeah. I, I didn't read this chapter, but nice. I, yeah. Oh, you didn't read it. No, no I did not this time. <laughs> I'm gonna unshare you on the doc. Yeah, it's fine. I read your
0: doc. I didn't. No, read. that's fine. Yeah, man. yeah.
1: I read your cliff notes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so Thyatira is one of the uh, churches in Revelation, one of the seven churches, and so she's from there. This is where, in Acts 16, um, the Spirit forbids Paul to go to preach. He's kind of, the door's closed to go to preach, to go to Asia Minor, um, and then he sees a vision to go to Macedonia. Somebody wants him to go to Macedonia, so he does. And so we get to Lydia here. And like you said, she's the seller of this purple cloth. And like most people know, purple cloth in the ancient world uh, was very hard to make and very hard to come by. So it's very expensive. So if she's dealing in purple cloth, if she's a business person, um, she's going to be pretty wealthy. Yeah. Most of the time it was royalty that would buy, purchase this type of purple
0: cloth. Mm-hmm. Wealthy people is who she dealt with. So she wasn't dealing with this, the slums, I guess you could say. I mean, she was... She herself was making good money, and the people she was dealing with made good money. So she was around wealthy people for a good amount of time. But another thing about Thyatira, Nate, it was a very big uh, trade city, export city. I mean, there was a lot of people coming through Thyatira at this time. So the connections that she was having at this time, she was seeing a lot, a lot, a lot of people, which is important because it goes back to show that kind of it's going to – and we're going to see this play out, but it's going to show that kind of where – where Lydia's at in mm-hmm. her life. We're going to see how that
1: all plays into a factor. And so um, she maintains a home with servants. We're going to see that her servants are going to come be baptized. Uh, so this tells us that she was probably a, a widow or unmarried. Um, she she didn't have a family that had prevented her from traveling from uh, Turkey back to Greece. Um, and so she just kind of is—is is this this rich businesswoman that really would have no reason to need Christianity? It would really have no reason to, to need religion, um, like many people in the Roman Empire. And so, the Church of Philippi, the the city of Philippi, um, was a was a crossroads of trading. There was a land route through Philippi and that was very close to the G, Aegean Sea. And so, uh, this was a super rich, powerful city. Um, and MacArthur said this is a very strategic place for the gospel to mm-hmm. spread. Because if you, can, if you can start the gospel in Philippi, people are going to come in and out of Philippi all mm-hmm. the time. And so we can uh, we can see God's sovereignty in starting at Philippi here and then letting it spread from there. Sorry, I said Thyatira. I meant Philippi yeah. whenever I was talking all Yeah. Uh And so the whole thing that MacArthur kind of points out about Lydia um, is that... that God's sovereign purpose usually remains hidden, right? Why was um, was Paul forbidden to go to to Asia Minor? Why does he show up in Philippi? Why does he go to these women that we're going to talk about here in a second? MacArthur says he is always at at work in secret and surprising ways to call people out for his name. And so this is kind of the theme here that we're going to see that this really doesn't make any sense. Why these, these events line up how they do why Lydia's there, um, and then why she reacts to the gospel the way she does. Um, But MacArthur's kind of point in this chapter is we don't understand God's purposes. We don't understand his sovereignty. Um, What may look like a random coincidence to us is God weaving together these things uh, for his purpose. And so we see this in Acts 16, uh, and we only see in her, in her in a couple of verses, starting in verse 13. It says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where there was supposed to be a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One of us, one who had heard us, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Ty- Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so here in these two, three quick verses, we see um, the, the story of Lydia here. Um, and so the reason why um, Paul is at a riverside and not in a synagogue is because there had to be enough Jewish people living in an area for a synagogue. And so there, there obviously weren't enough Jewish men uh, in Philippi to to kind of start a, a synagogue, and so according to Jewish law, women were permitted to go and kind of pray together, and so this is what's happening here: that the women are praying at this at this riverside, and so um, Paul goes to the to the Jews first, and then to to the to the Greeks. Right? He he always goes to the Jews because if he goes to the Gentiles first, the Jews would would have nothing to do with Christianity, mm-hmm. so he goes to the Jews first converts Jews, and then goes to the, to the Gentiles. So this is going to follow his model here. He's going to find any Jews he can, and at this point, just happens to be a bunch of ladies meeting at a riverside.
0: Yeah, which is interesting because, like you said, there's no place that they can go to worship. So he was going out and seeking this, which is also an uh, interesting part of God's sovereignty whenever we look at this, that he finds this random group of women having this kind of prayer meeting type thing outside of this. And it and Lydia kind of seems to be leading this this prayer type meeting, which we're going to find here interesting because, like I said, Nate, we don't know a whole lot about Lydia. There's really, we jump right into Acts 16, and this is really, we get kind of where she's where she's from, where she's at, and later on, as you read there, it says uh, they she brings him back. And after she was baptized in her house as well, she heard and say, if you judge me, come to my house and stay. So we can tell she's rich because she's got a house close by, but she's from Thyatira. So Chandler brought out in his sermon over Lydia, like she, this is kind of like her summer home, or like she's got like she's got two houses. Mm-hmm. So
1: she's 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 got some money, and she's she's got enough money to, to bring Luke, yes. Paul, Timothy's, Timothy's with, them, with them, and then probably all uh, the
0: people that were with her, you know, their little their yes, little crew. Their group, yeah, to bring them back to the house. Which back in those days, you wouldn't think you wouldn't think that most houses would be big enough to host that many people, but it's interesting because she does bring them back. And, you know, this is one of those things that as we dive into this, we're going to, uh, we're going to see here that she is a worshiper of Yahweh. So she's an active seeker of the true God. So she worships God, which is interesting because we talk about people today. Like if we said we were worshipers of God, then most people would say we're, Christians, right? I mean, there's, for the most part, people would say God is there's one God, and where you know there's a Christian God, all these different stuff. But at this point, so she's an active seeker of God, but that does not mean she's a Christian. You get what I'm saying? She just she doesn't know the teachings of Christ, but she's following uh, the scriptures that have been passed down in the Old Testament. Uh, she's praying to God, all these different things, being a, a good you know worshipper at this point but she still doesn't grasp the truth of the gospel is what she does not have yet. And that's what Paul is out here seeking to do, which this is where most people would fall in during this time as they were active worshipers of God. But without the Christ part of it, you're missing the point of this new covenant that has been ushered in through Christ. And, you know, me and you were talking, I think it was yesterday that there was a, wasn't one, there's somebody else that we kind of see the same thing. And the Ethiopian eunuch, If you go back to that story in Acts, whenever they run into the Ethiopian eunuch, what's he reading at that time? I forget what book it actually is. Isaiah. Isaiah. That's right. He's reading Isaiah, which is, I mean, how do you read Isaiah and not know that there's a Christ or a Messiah? And maybe they did. And maybe that's a great God's sovereign purpose once again of he's reading Isaiah Here comes the message of Christ. Now it's all going to fit together perfectly. So we had these worshipers. One point I'm trying to get to is we had these worshipers of God at this point, but not necessarily Christians that believed in Christ. And that was what Paul was doing. That's what Peter was doing. That's what the uh, apostles were supposed to be doing as they went out to the Jews and to the Gentiles is to preach this message of Christ. So we see a prior knowledge of scripture here with Lydia. They're already meeting with the prayer group. So these are active worshipers, active seekers of God, but they're still yet missing a part that Paul's going to be delivering them
1: to. Mm-hmm. And so MacArthur's uh, point here is, is how does the gospel capture her heart? How does, how does Lydia become a believer in Christ? And, and so, um, he says this is an awesome example of how we are redeemed by god right from from our perspective from Lydia's perspective she was in she was listening intently um she she heard what Paul had said uh, and then made the decision to be baptized. but that's from our perspective, right mm-hmm. which is part of it, right You know trusting Christ is a decision that we make yeah. we there is a decision that we have to make. However, what does scripture tell us in verse 14? It says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention, right? And so there's, there's also an aspect of God involved in this, in this, this, this idea of salvation. How do we come to be, be disciples and, and, and believers in Christ? God opens a, her heart, God opens our heart. So, so there has to be a, a seeking, right? There has to be a drawing near. And MacArthur has a quote here that I like. He said, whenever we see a soul seeking God, whenever we see somebody truly seeking God, we can be certain that God is drawing them near. Absolutely. Right. And so this is one of those things about salvation that we, we, we want to understand how this is a kind of a, a two way street that God draws, but we still also, have a part to play in salvation.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, and that's the exact Lydia is a perfect story of, and it's like I said, it's just a couple of verses, but it's a perfect story of how redemption happens. And, you know, God was drawing her from a long time. We don't know exactly how long she was worshiping uh, God and was praying and doing all this stuff. But what's important is that God was drawing her heart towards him in that moment. And, mm-hmm but yet all of the scripture reading that she had done and all the praying that she had done, she still hadn't received the gospel yet, which was the final piece to the puzzle of redemption. So now Paul brings that, but as she's reading the Old Testament, Nate, we've talked about this before, there's prophecy layered all throughout that. And as you're reading the Old Testament, which Nate's a huge fan of, big, big fan of Old Testament, which all of us should be. I don't know why Should be. Yeah, should be. Um, but as she's reading that, there's, there's there's pieces to the puzzle that just really aren't connecting yet. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I love about Scripture. And Alistair Begg was just, he, he's, he's, he's kind of going through this in Scripture through Christmas or whatever, and he was talking about, you know, why he sent his son, and he went through this whole thing. And um, I love Alistair's quote that says, in the Old Testament, he's predicted. In the Gospels, he's revealed. In the Acts, he's preached. In the Epistles, he's explained. And in Revelation, he's expected. Mm-hmm. And so that just brings together the entire book of the Bible to show that Christ is the centrality of why we, of Christianity. It's the centrality of the scriptures. We see it all through. So everything she's reading is about Christ, but yet she's never heard about Christ. So this is where they bring it in. But God leading her down that path to begin with, doing the prep work prior to the gospel being delivered, shows that God is actively involved in the act of redemption, and then this last part here, he had to open her heart for her to accept this gospel message. Because we saw that several people hadn't accepted this gospel message. So why did they not accept it and why did she well, I think it started with the Lord opened her heart. We can't see, we can't see the Messiah. We can't see Christ without God first opening our heart, drawing us in through the spirit and then us, like you said, working in that, accepting that message, but we could never accept that message if our heart was never opened to accept it.
1: And we we see that in scripture, right? Scripture talks about our heart. And Ephesians 2 is, it's probably my favorite section of verses, right? It talks about how we are sons of disobedience, we're we're sons of wrath. Um, Everything in our heart is dead, right? We were dead in our trespasses. And so if a human heart is dead and, and willfully against Christ, it's not, you know, with my just decision, it's not going to flip. My heart's not going to flip. We see that same thing in Romans, right? Romans 8 talks about how dead we were and how, how rebellious we are. Um, and so if it's just left up to my human heart, which Scripture says is dead, how do I accept Christ? How do I even come near Christ? Why well, can't. No, because you're dead. Because I'm dead, right? Okay. There has to be a, a third party involved to open my heart, draw me near, um, bring me to that message Mm -hmm. so that I can receive that message and and hear that message. Well, I think another important part of this
0: entire passage here, it says um, after the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, it says right here, it says, oh, sorry, back in verse 14. So that's an important part. The Lord opened her heart, but at verse the beginning of verse 14, one who heard us heard, you know, the gospel has to be spoken. You know, I always, I always grew up, and and I get the point of, I and mean, we've talked about this before, but the point of the gospel being um, lived out, the God part of the gospel being acted out, um, the whole saying that said, uh, preach the gospel at all time, and if necessary, use words. Um, you know, I always thought that was good.
1: It's necessary.
0: Well, that's it, it. It. I mean, why would it? How could you preach the gospel to somebody if you don't? Like I get the I get the meaning behind that. Like we should be living out the gospel each and every day and look different. But if we don't have a reason for why we're different and why we live the way that we live, then the person nobody's ever going to want to follow that. So we have to be able to speak it, which is what we're seeing here from Paul, so the ears can hear. And it says, "Blessed are those, blessed are the feet who go and preach the good news, so the ears can hear." I mean, that's 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 the important part here. So. Yes God opens the heart but there's a aspect of us as believers that have the responsibility of preaching the gospel. So we have to preach it and then God works there opens their heart and does the rest. But we have a responsibility in the plan of redemption which is phenomenal that we even get to be a part of that. Mm-hmm.
1: And so MacArthur points out that that faith is actually a gift from God, right? And and I think I knew this. I just don't know if I've ever seen it Explain like this, right? That that if if salvation is a is a decision all by myself, there's really no need, no reason to thank God for it, right? If I if I can just decide to follow Christ myself, why would I thank God for something that I can do myself?
0: Exactly. Well think about it in a sense of if it's a free gift, I mean you're around Christmas time. If you go and buy something for yourself, okay, let's say you want a new Purdue sweatshirt or whatever, boiler up, boiler up. If you go and buy that Purdue sweatshirt, you've made that decision. That's your, you, you, it, there's a lot of you in that. But if I gift you with that, you didn't do a thing to earn that. Therefore it's going to be, it's going to mean a little bit more to you. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the gift, the gift is not, it's not a gift if we decided to do it. Exactly. So you don't get that produced sweatshirt as a gift if you buy it, but if I give it to you, that's what makes it a gift.
1: And so that that if it's a gift, right, that this this should produce thankfulness. Mm-hmm. And so so you know we should we should be be physically and and emotionally and mentally thankful for the gift that that we have received, right? If 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 gift if faith is a is a gift that we get, we should thank God for it, mm-hmm. right? If it's something that I can do myself, I don't really have a reason to thank God for it right? And so if it is a gift, and I'm just thinking, um, uh, my wife's aunt recently passed, and, and she, me and her went and got this flower um, just a couple months before she died. Now, every time I see that flower, right? She didn't give it to me, but but I, it's mine now, right? Because mm-hmm. every time I see that flower, I'm going to think of her, right? Mm-hmm. And so every time I, I, I think of salvation, I should think of of, yeah. of God right because mm-hmm. that's a gift that he gave me. If I every time I think of salvation I did myself like oh, you know I, I, I should get a little bit more prideful and I should you know I could I could do that right mm-hmm. And so if it's a gift, we should often and often do think of the sender, the, the person that gave us that gift every time we see that gift, we should think of that um, of that gift. Um, or think of the person that sent it to us. Yeah. And
0: this quote that MacArthur has here said, This is why we pray for salvation for our loved ones. If salvation were solely, uh, if sal- this is why we pray for salvation for our loved ones, if salvation were solely dependent on one's own free will choice, what would be the point of praying to God about it? Because why would I pray to God? Why would I pray to God for something that I could just go get myself? That's what, that's what makes no sense. If I'm going to be praying to God, that I'm asking God to bring something to myself, bring something to loved ones that I have. But like you said, if it's a free decision, if it's a free will choice, why would we need to pray to God for it? That would just say, oh, I want to be saved. Okay, yeah, I'll be saved. I'll take that. It, there's more to it than that. And like you said, I think making sure that we know that God is the source behind our salvation is, not ourselves ultimately brings us to a place of thankfulness it brings us to a place of understanding he is the provider of everything that we need especially our salvation
1: yeah i know i know people that have prayed for people for years and years and years to accept the gospel um and and, in some of those cases they have and some of those cases they haven't but like you said if if the the decision of salvation is just that person then why would I pray for? Why would I pray to God for divine? You know, why, not inspiration, but but to get in. You know, to be involved. Why yeah. would I? Why would I pray for God to be involved if it's truly a? Wouldn't you just plead to that person? Exactly. You know, right? what I, mean? okay, I just no, no, come on, please, just decide to be a Christian. If there's no divine intervention, if there's no involvement from God, it doesn't make any sense to ask Him, right? Because we know that that. This is, this is not, um, uh, no one's going to be dragged and cricket, kicking and screaming into heaven, no. right? This is a, this is a as MacArthur put it. This is a drawing, not a pushing.
0: Yes. Well, and that's one thing that oh,
1: my Christian pet peeves
0: is, uh, when we, when you start talking about free will and, you know, God drawing and, and, you know, election and all this different stuff, people always say like, well, God's a gentleman. God's a gentleman. He, he he wouldn't he wouldn't ever force himself upon you. First off, show me the scripture that says God is a gentleman. They've second never second opinion. Yes. Yes. It's three? never third hogwash, 24. <laughs> I don't know. But it, it, it's never said that in scripture. And to say that it's against our will, well, what's the purpose for why you were created to worship God? Like don't say that it's against our will, like he forces us to become Christian. That sounds terrible. It's it's not a forcing, it's a drawing. It's a gentle drawing that he does with the Spirit to bring us to where he has Lydia right now. Lydia was drawn. I think back on my life, Nate, and, and God was drawing me at a young age. He was drawing me at a young age, and he drew me again once I got out of college. Like, there's, there's this drawing that he's always doing towards me but never is he ever going to force his way upon me. But it's this drawing that he's showing me and revealing to me my need for a savior and therefore turning to him by him opening my heart and revealing, opening my heart and eyes to see the sin that I have in my heart and the need that I have for him and salvation. That, thank, thank God that he does do that because, yeah, not against our will. What is our will? What is our will? Our will is to sin and sin and sin and sin and sin because that's what we, that's our nature. So it's not against our will, it's not against His will, but our will to sin all the time. God draws us to something better. He draws us to something bigger. He draws us to something that brings us to salvation. And uh, I like that. I'm sorry. I get on my soapbox about the God's a gentleman. He wouldn't do that stuff. It's like nobody, this sounds bad, but they're almost making it like God's raping us with salvation. You know what I'm saying? Like he forces this upon you. He brings you in like that. That's what you're saying. I'm like, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that it's a gift that he's drawing me to because, and it makes me even more thankful for salvation. If you think about it in those terms. The, yeah, what that well, arg- we give up a sense of control whenever we say that, and I think that's what people don't yeah. like about
1: it. But that argument is is wrong in several ways because then you're for then you're then you're framing salvation as a bad thing. Like exactly. I, don't want, I don't want that. Don't, yeah. don't put that on me. Force me into that? Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Yeah. I mean <laughs> seriously. Like, like Oh, okay. So you get to spend eternity worshiping sorry. your creator your creator. Man, what a what a tough break. Like what? So we see that, that her, her, her ears were opened. We see that Lydia uh, pays attention to what is said by Paul. And and the Greek word here is, is, is like very intently listening, right? She's not just kind of overhearing or, or kind of eavesdropping. She's very intently listening to what Paul is saying here about the gospel. He's, he's, he's putting together all those, those old Testament verses, He's putting the pieces together of how Christ is the Messiah, of how He fills those Old Testament verses, and so her faith is immediate. And what is the, what is the first thing that she does is evidence of her faith, and she becomes baptized, and the rest of her uh, household as well, right? And so, here again, we see this the story of of salvation. This is a gift from God. You receive salvation, and then what do you what do we see with all these women? when they see the Messiah or, or experience salvation, they want to go tell somebody about it or they want to get baptized. And so there's an immediate reaction. Um, and so her reaction is is to go to be baptized and then beg strangers, right? These, these group of people, probably 10 20 30 people to come to her house and stay, um, for an indefinite time because Paul had gone to Philippi and didn't really have any plans. Uh, and so she, she, Told them to come and stay for however long they wanted, um, and so we see Lydia here um, really show and have evidence of her faith uh, with a couple of acts that she does right after she she hears and accepts the word.
0: Yeah, she becomes a very big part of the church in Philippi, basically. And you know, they, they you talk about where was the first church in Philippi formed at? Well, it was at Lydia's house. You know, we see our first. Uh, church being kind of formed here. These people are meeting here and we see later on that we see that this becomes a meeting place for, for a bunch of different people. Um, soon after this, we see, uh, Paul and Silas get thrown into jail in Philippi where they're at in jail. They, there's a conversion of the Philippian jailer. Um, you start to see a, a turn happening in Philippi that, ultimately leads to the book of Philippians, which is interesting that this is where we fall because that's the next book that we're going to be going through here at church. But as you look at this, Lydia was a big part of that. Lydia was a big part of this movement that was coming in to Philippi and uh, her being willing to host people, use her resources to be able to further the kingdom of God is exactly another example of Lydia that we can see is, yeah, she's been blessed with wealth. She's been blessed with we think just by assuming here in the passage, multiple different houses, large houses, we see this happen. But she's using these resources as now these may have been things that she felt like she had earned or gained. Now she maybe looks at them in a sense of this is what God has given her. So therefore, she's going to use that to continue forth this ministry. And you, you truly see salvation, genuine salvation in lydia based on the acts of how she responds after receiving the good news Mm -hmm. and i think that's important because we can see sometimes false conversions happen but we see this act of lydia happen right away therefore we know that this was genuine
1: yeah and and like macarthur points out that the the real cost uh, of transforming her life and the real cost of accepting gospel was probably more than the money just to feed these guys, right? We see that Paul and Silas is gonna be are gonna be thrown in jail in, in Philippi in this really the next section of verses. Um, and so, you know, now there's kind of this 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 idea around these new Christians, these new people coming into town. Lydia's associating with them, you know, probably some loss of business, mm-hmm. maybe some prison time, some bad will in the community, right? She's not this she might might have been this upstanding citizen and now she's kind of viewed as this this outcast because she's hanging around with this riffraff um and so you know she puts a lot on the line here um a lot of her worldly things on the line by the gospel um and 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 her like you said her fruit what what does she do after she becomes converted um she does a lot of things that that the, the scripture tells people to do right become baptized be hospitable. Use your gifts. Use what God has blessed you um, to to bless those the, uh, other people around your li- around your life. And so, like we see that that Paul and, and Silas and uh, Luke are going to stay there for a long time. We don't really know how long, but but a long time. Um, starts a small church, and Macarthur wraps up saying that that everything that made her exceptional, like all the women that we've we've covered so far, was a working of God in her heart. It wasn't herself conjuring up enough might and, and ability and, and compassion. It was a working of God in her heart, just like it was a working of God in the Samaritan woman's heart, just like it was a working of God in in Mary Magdalene's heart, in Anna's heart, uh, and Sarah and Ruth and all these women that we talked about. God was at work in their hearts and, and caused them, to become these extraordinary women.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the important part to bring out here. And anytime we're talking about any kind of character in the scriptures, it's important to understand who the hero is, who who their stories are all about. Uh, these women that we've talked about for the last 12 weeks have been a, they've been very prominent in the church. They've been an important part of the history of the church. Um, they're important parts of the Bible. But what's important, what's the most important part about them, Nate, is they remain faithful to uh, to God and mm-hmm. God is in the center of each one of their stories, how he redeemed them, how he brought them uh, out of misery into light. It, every one of these stories is just a story of redemption mm-hmm. about how God uses lowly people who are lost and brings them into this, this position that is ultimately going to bring glory upon himself. And that's what it's important to do. And I know as we just finished up the book of Jonah a couple of weeks ago, um, I always thought of the book of Jonah as being a story all about Jonah and how he was a hero. You read that story, it's all about God and how God was redeeming people even when Jonah was being a turd. Like it's it's these stories that we read and these people that we talk about. It's important that we focus. And we talked about this when we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Great individuals who showed great faithfulness but in that faithfulness at the core was an obedience and love for God that he had brought them to the place that he had brought them to. And that's ultimately where we got to turn to is we've got to be obedient to God. And in doing so he will receive the glory in our lives in small ministry, medium ministry, small ministry, whatever it may be, large, big, small, it doesn't matter. Whatever position you're in, we need to be bringing the glory and honor to God. And that's what we see here. Um, with Lydia and all these other women that we've talked about so far, God is the central part of their story. Amen. Okay. Well, thank you, Nate, for finding this book for us. It was a blessing to go through this. And, uh, we're going to do a Christmas episode next week, I believe, just kind of focusing on that. And then after that, we've got a little surprise series coming up. Got a little teaser out there, but, uh, Maybe bring you back to your childhood a little bit. (laughs) Hopefully not ruin it, but hopefully, you know, bring some truth to it. So I'm Josh Schwarzenegger with Nate Raber. God bless.